Oh, hello. It appears that we are live. Thank you for joining me tonight here on uh, Lou Reads the Internet for You. I'm going to be finishing up the fantastically not-so-good second half of The Human Santipede. Mm. Almost, almost made a mistake. The Human Santipede, everyone. It's me. No, I'm not the Human Santipede. It's me, Lou, of Lou Reads the Internet for You. I'm like, which way? I'm on backwards. I want to be able to see the tree. It's, it's holiday times, even here in New York City. And, uh, yeah, man, let's get into this nonsense. As you may or may not know, I'm going to be uh, re- dropping this episode probably first couple of days of January. First episode, part one, is going to be on the tomorrow or later tonight. As I just finished bouncing it, I'm going to do the face the uh, loureads.com posting and whatnot. Oh, man, I got blown out. It's going the wrong direction. There we go. Oops. You know, I like I like to have my uh, all my old man wrinkles blown out by the light, but um, not that much. Anyway, let's get into part two of the Human Centipede. As you might remember, Finklefoot was hot on the the case of the missing elves, Sissy and Jimbo, or Sisbo as they were known. They have been sewn together by the the black maniac. Rudolph has also been attached to Jimbo's behind, and now the, the maniac has 50 elves. That he is, uh, That's when we left off. He had tricked 50 elves into coming, saying he was going to pay them for work, but that's not what he has planned. And Finklefoot has to go meet with Santa's four notorious friends, Krampus, Black Pete, Ruprecht, and then another guy whose name I couldn't remember. It was like Bells, Bellsworth or Nort. We'll find out soon enough. So, and tonight, we're going to allow you to read along with the nonsense. So, uh, let me close some of these windows. I got too many windows open. So, uh, and if you feel like you want to chime in, please do. Uh, In the Twitch chat room, I will answer you or comment back to you as I see the, the chats come in. I usually try to wait until the end of a chapter to try to catch up. But, let's get into it, shan't we? We sh- well, no, we, sh- we shall. We shall. All right, let's bring up this window. Aha! Can you read it? All right, let me get to my picture of the Kindle. Oh, I skipped ahead. Okay. Where we left off was the beginning of Chapter 16. A celebratory drink. Brooklyn Defender. That's good. Chapter 16. The Hooded Lunatic. The Hooded... Now, one thing you'll notice if you listened to the first episode and podcast form, I cut out all that stuff, if I can. So, none of that messing up. Chapter 16. The hooded lunatic snorted candy apple snuff off of the back of his hand and growled. Darkness was falling, or would have been if they were anywhere but the land of Christmas, which meant that it was almost time to return to the streets to gather the next worthy participants. Not that any of them were worthy. All that truly mattered was that they had the necessary holes, and they didn't put up too much of a struggle. Is everyone feeling okay? The maniac said, suppressing a snort. Humph! The vowel-free replies went on and on as 52 elves and a reindeer scrambled around on the surgery floor, slipping and sliding in blood and pus. At least 10 of the elves had fainted, but when you had to, but when you had a convoy of so many, it didn't matter if a few engines faltered. There was barely any room down there on the floor, which is why the lunatic had taken to the table where he could loom over them more efficiently. Look, you've made your point, Sissy said, pushing back against the tide of elves behind her. Why don't you take a photo and start unpicking us? Huh? 
The beast cackled. You really are a piece of work, aren't you? He said. Such courage, and yet you're only 1.87% of my creation. From where I'm standing, you're the only one with an ounce of hope left. You think I've come all this way, put in all this hard work just to release you? That sounds wonderful, Sissy said. Do me first, will you? My back's killing. The maniac climbed down from the table, finding just enough space on the floor to place his large feet. One brave elf tried to nip at his leg, but only succeeded in nibbling the asshole of the guy in front, who let out a surprise as a result. We're not quite finished yet, the figure explained. Sure, you look good, certainly very centipede but the whole point is to create a human santipede. Quote-unquote, brackets, inhuman santipede, Sissy corrected, for she wasn't backing down on that. Whatever, the point is, until the fat bastard is leading you around the land of Christmas, I will not stop. I will not relent. I will not... Will you stop trying to bite me? Sorry, Sissy said, spitting out a mouthful of dark shroud. I couldn't resist. She stopped crawling, forcing everyone else to halt, and called across her shoulder. You idiots do know that we don't have to keep moving, don't you? Good. Then you can all stop nudging me forward since I appear to be the spokesperson of this monstrosity. I'd appreciate a little cooperation. She turned back to the menacing figure standing over her. And what happens when you get to Santa? What happens then? Beneath the hood, the maniac grinned. Then Christmas and everything it means to you fools will be lost forever. That's the end of chapter 16. Ooh, sinister things, sinister things. Thank you to the one person who is watching. I appreciate it. It's exciting times. Whoa, this is on. I don't like that at all. Hold on. So on to chapter 17. Finglefoot stood in front of the huge gothic mansion, his tiny hand hovering a few inches from the door. The door knocker was a bronze thingamy in the shape of a giant sack of toys. At least Finglefoot hoped that's what it was. Not that it mattered, the elf was far too small to reach it. Whatever possessed a person to install a door knocker so high up, especially when 99% of the land's inhabitants were elves. But that was the thing. The owner of this mansion didn't want callers, didn't like them, didn't like anyone really. It was a miracle that there was a door knocker in the first place, and also that there wasn't an electric fence running around the ground and a couple of rabid hounds sitting out front. It was also a miracle that Finklefoot had mustered the courage to approach the mansion. He was either really very brave or incredibly stupid. Perhaps a little bit of both. Quote-unquote, Flangleflop! A voice hissed. Finklefoot's heart leapt to his throat before moving beyond that. He could almost taste the arteries. He snatched the walkie-talkie from his belt and depressed the button. Not depressed the button as in told in a sad story and called in a hurtful name, but pushed it in. Boy, that is tortured, tortured sentiment. Shh, the elf gasped. And don't keep startling me like that. I'm not carrying a change of dungarees. And please get my name right. If I'm going to be your second in command, you should be able to remember who I am. Yes, 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 Santa said impatiently. Where are you right now at this minute presently? Finklefoot swallowed his heart back down and said, I'm about to knock on Bellsnickel's door. That's the guy whose name I forgot earlier. He gave the door a cursory glance. Remember you said I should speak to the companions? Why? Ooh, Santa said, I bet you're awfully frightened right now, but don't let him intimidate you. And at the end of the day, he's my second in command. And hang on a minute. He's your second in command, too. So you have three second in commands? There was a long crackle as Santa exhaled. Technically, I have six second in commands. If you're including the companions, my wife, and yourself, then of course there's Hattie Herman, which makes seven. And then, look, do we have time for all this nonsense? Finklefoot said, I'm about to have a heart attack here, and I'd really rather get this over with so I can get back to the village, preferably in one piece. Ho, ho, hold your horses, Finkleflaps, Santa said. The reason I called, yes, there was a reason. Your wife, Trixie, she's not best impressed that you're working straight up 
until Christmas Eve. A couple of your gang reckon she's on the warpath. You might want to keep an eye out for her. I know what elf bitches be like when they get a bee in their bonnet. Did you just speak gangsta? Is that what that was? Santa said, I thought I was having a stroke. Figglefoot closed his eyes and sighed. Not only was he standing on the porch of one of the most terrifying companions in the land of Christmas, but now Trixie was after him, and the longer it went on, the angrier she would get. By the time she caught up to him, she might be carrying an incredibly sharp spear and wearing nothing but a loincloth. Sure. Why can't I just say no when people ask for help? Oh, and I've just had a call from Hattie Herman, Santa went on. She reckons that 50 of her elves have gone missing, just disappeared off the production line. Apparently, she's down there right now cleaning up. I don't know much about licorice, but I imagine it gets quite messy if left unattended. 50? Finklefoot said. Did you say 50? Yes, Santa said, as in shades of gray, gates of wisdom, U.S. states, golden wedding anniversary, the amount of rings you need to transform Sonic to supersonic in that hedgehog game. The, I get it, Finklefoot said, but how can that happen? I mean, how can 50 elves just vanish like that? We're small, but if you put enough of us together, people are going to start noticing if we just cease to be there. One would think, Santa said. Anyway, I think we can safely put these latest disappearances down to our Xmas extremist. On the bright side, it should be easier to find the culprit now. How so? Finklefoot removed his hat and scratched his head. Well, like you said, Santa said, <laughs> you put... You put enough of you together, it's much easier to notice you. Finklefoot couldn't fall to Superior's logic no matter how hard he tried. Thanks for the heads up, he said. If you don't hear from me in ten minutes, Bell Snickle has ground me into a fine powder and no doubt snorted me. You'll be fine, Santa said. Just ask the right questions and get the hell out of there. What are the right questions, Finklefoot said, exasperated. Only the crackle of the walkie-talkie answered. He attached it to his belt and stepped up to the magnificent door. He knocked. He waited. He knocked again. He panicked. He farted. He waited. He cried a little. He was about to knock one last time when he discerned movement on the other side, a growl followed by the click of a latch, and then the door swung over inwards to reveal a hulking tower of a man, covered head to toe in fur and with a face only a mother could love, and even if she wasn't too keen on it. Bell's nickel was the epitome of creepiness. If one were to bump into him in the dead of night, perhaps in a dark alleyway, one would certainly shat oneself, and if one didn't, then one was much braver elf than the one standing on Bell's nickel's porch. Do you have a minute to talk about Jesus Christ, Finklefoot said, for reasons unbeknownst to him? He'd panicked. Pretending to be from the society of elvish Jehovah's Witnesses seemed like a much better option than accusing the big guy of elf larceny and reindeer rustling. The fist that caught Finklefoot on the nose suggested he'd probably made a big mistake. And then there was darkness, the kind of utter opaqueness that only came from being knocked the fuck out. Well, quite a turn for our Finklefoot. Hmm. Celebratory. A sip of beer. Chapter 18. Did you have to hit him? A voice boomed. Yeah, that was a bit much, added another. You could probably have just said you were into Satan. They give up pretty quickly once they know you've moved over to the dark side. I panicked, said a third voice. I didn't know what to do. He was talking about Christ, and while I've always thought the best way to make them stop is with a clobbering to the temple. Finglefoot was drifting in and out of consciousness, though he could hear the three voices as they bickered amongst themselves and discussed the best way to dispose of the body. He couldn't see who they belonged to. His vision was hit and miss, with the emphasis on the miss. When his eyes were open, everything seemed to swirl together, like one of the kaleidoscopes Rufus cobbled together in the workshop. This, Finglefoot thought, is what Keith Richards must feel like all of the time. Oh, a joke about Keith Richards doing drugs. How charming. He's an elf, the first voice said. You're Bell's nickel. You could have flicked him and he would have gone over. Not as white as everyone else. Pete is right, said the second voice. Brackets, presumably Finglefoot thought, connect Rupricht 
elves aren't great at taking giant fists to the face. Well, they should come with some sort of warning, Bells Nichols said. What, like an elf warning? Connect Rupert said, sniggering, and then there was much merriment and endless witticisms, none of which Finglefoot found funny in the slightest. What, like an elf warning? Connect Rupert said, sniggering, and then there was much merriment and endless witticisms, none of which Finklefoot found funny in the slightest. Hang on, he's coming too, said Bells Nickel. See, I told you he wasn't dead. I'm not dead, Finklefoot said, pushing himself up onto his elbows. He was in some sort of games room. Pushed up against the walls were myriad flashing slot machines and video games. Across the room was a pool table and bar. The neon sign hanging from the ceiling said, Bells Nickel, what'll it be? I'll be okay in a minute. I just need to get my bearings. Though Finklefoot knew that his bearings were the least of his troubles. He was in a room, Lord knows where, surrounded by three out of four companions, each of which glared down at him as if he'd just spat in their beards. Look, I'm sorry for punching you upside the head, Belsnickel groaned. It's just that I'm not very good in social situations, especially with elves I don't know. Finklefoot climbed to his feet, went down again, climbed to his feet, and managed to stay up thanks to not-as-white-as-everyone-else Pete's cloak. That's okay, he said. Though it wasn't, he hadn't been punched that hard since Trixie's father found them rutting behind the sleigh shed. I don't think there's any permanent damage. I, I guess I'll find out in a few years' time. You wouldn't happen to know the way to Amarillo, would you? He's confused, Connect Rupert said to his buddies. To Finklefoot, he said, How many fingers am I holding up? In that way that people do when they're talking to a recently concussed idiot or a drunkard or George W. Bush. I'm fine, Finklefoot said. I just need some fresh air and... He pauses his vision cleared for the first time since coming round. That was when he remembered the water pistol the fat bastard had presented him with. He reached down and was surprised to find it was still there, tucked behind his buckle. He didn't want to have to use it, but it was nice to know it was there if things turned ugly, or if he should suddenly grow a pair. There, on the table, the companions were seated around with a deck of playing cards. Stacks of chips were neatly aligned in front of each player, along with their respective hands. In the center of the table, a bowl of pretzels looked mighty inviting. Bottles of brandy and sherry stood next to half-empty glasses. Am I interrupting a poker match? Finklefoot asked. He didn't know much about poker, but the way the cards had been dealt, it was clear they weren't playing snap, whatever that is. You could say that not as white as everyone else pete said lighting a cigar it was almost the same size as the elf we like to get together in a few weeks play a few hands smoke some stogies and drink some spirits yeah it's the only thing that keeps us sane in the run-up to the big day bells nickel said leaning back in his chair he poured himself a very large brandy you can only get so excited about handing out shitty gifts to naughty kids santa's got it easy compared to us connect rupert said forcing a handful of pretzels in his mouth he gets all the good kids the ones who've been nice i get to deliver sticks and coal to little shits and if those little shits are still little shits next year, I get to beat them with the stick. I hand out stings to bad children for a living, Bells Nickel said. Do you have any idea how degrading that is? Stings? I mean, who's afraid of a little sting these days? It must be really tough for you, Finklefoot said. He wasn't interested in their traditions. He was more interested in the poker game. How long have you been playing? He asked, gesturing to the large table. The companions exchanged confused glances. God, there was a lot of facial hair in the room. How long has this particular session been going on? Connect Rupert said. Since we started getting together for drinks and cards. The first one, Finklefoot said. For some reason, he was no longer frightened. It probably had something to do with the fact that he was still slightly concussed. No sane elf would stand around conversing with 75% of the companions. In a moment, he thought, I'll come to my senses and run for the door. Until his legs started to function again, though, he had no choice but to natter. While they were talking to him, they weren't thumping him in the head, which could only be a good thing. About three days, Connect Rupert said as if it was a perfectly normal answer. We like to make an event of it, drag it out for as long as possible. Like B said, it's the only thing that stops us from going mental before Christmas Eve. Oh, you may ask a question, Waria666. I'm going to keep reading, but please ask your question. 
Interesting, Finglefoot thought. Three days they've been playing cards and three days together, which puts these companions in the clear. At least three of them. Well, put the companions in the clear. At least three of them. And Krampus would normally be here with you? For the first time, Finglefoot felt like he was in control. He wished he had a brown mac and a glass eye so he could act all confused, even though he knew damn well what was going on. Uh, this is a Columbo reference. If you're not familiar with Columbo, I recommend seeking it out as it is a wonderful detective series starring Peter Falk. Hasn't missed a poker session in centuries. Not as white as everyone else, Pete said, slamming down a glass of brandy as if they were going out of fashion. And then all of a sudden, he sends Bell's Nickel a letter, something about a head cold. Personally, I think he's just scared. We took him for two million candy canes last year, and I don't think he got over it. Finglefoot walked across the room to where Bell's Nickel had perched himself on a stool next to the bar. He picked up a bottle without checking what it was first. It was one of those days where anything alcoholic would do, including terps and surgical spirit, and took a deep gulp. Once the burn subsided and once he managed to peel his lips away from the teeth, Finklefoot said, Did Krampus mention anything to you boys about ruining Christmas? Glances were exchanged, most of them confused. All the time, Belsnickel finally said, it's kind of his thing. Remember that time Connect Rupert laughed when he was going to swap all the toys in the sleigh for reindeer shit? Not as white as everyone else, Pete and Belsnickel sniggered in unison. The room palpably shook. And the year he was going to lace the fat bastard's mince pies with Rohypnol. They were laughing so hard now that, to an elf, brackets, and therefore to Finklefoot, it was slightly terrifying. What about that Christmas he fucked Mrs. Claus and then tried to blackmail her with a sex tape, Belsnickel snorted. Snorted. Forgot to press record on the hidden camera, didn't he? Connect Rupert said, laughing so hard that he was leaking gas. Oh, Krampus, he's a card. At some point, Finklefoot had joined in with the laughter. Wiping tears from his eyes, he said, so he's always banging on about it, isn't he? He said, ruining Christmas and all that malarkey. Oh, God, yes, Belsnickel said, filling his face with peanuts from the glass bowl sitting atop the bar. I mean, we all talk about it, but Krampus, well, he's a maniac. Interesting, Finklefoot thought for the second time in as many minutes. Not that he'd ever do anything, really, Connect Rupert said, stroking his beard. He's a lot of talk and very little walk, though he didn't sound as convinced as he might have wanted to. Finklefoot was onto something. He could feel it in his stumpy little bones. And his scalp tingled. But that might have been the fleas he'd contracted from one of the many beards in the room, of course. Where, Finklefoot said, might I find Krampus if, say, I wanted to have a little natter to him about something? That's the way to do it, he thought. Brackets, though for some reason it sounded high-pitched and nasally. Keep it loose and obscure. The less the three giants' monsters knew about what was going on, the better. You really don't want to go bothering Krampus this close to Christmas, Belsnickel growled, especially if he's feeling under the weather. I mean, you wouldn't go tickling a polar bear with a feather, would you? Wouldn't dream of it, Finklefoot said. But just humor me. For future reference, as it were, where might I find the the one known as Krampus. The three companions sighed in unison. Suddenly, the air tasted stale and extremely flammable. Do you know where that new takeaway mince pie shop is over on Festive Avenue? Not as white as everyone else, Pete said. Pie on the fly, Finklefoot said. Yeah, I know it. Well, if you take a right from there, you'll come to a small blue house. Blue house, Finklefoot repeated. He wished he was writing this down. Now, all the houses in the land of Christmas look the same, as you already know, but this one's blue, and it's the only blue one down that way. Gotcha. Blue house, Finklefoot thought. How hard can that be? From the blue house, you're going to want to take a few steps back. I can see you've only got little baby feet, so 20 good steps ought to do it. A map had formed in Finklefoot's head, and he thought he knew the place well enough to say, hang on, won't that put me on the frozen river? Yes, which is a much better place for you to go than looking for Krampus. 
All three of them laughed. Finklefoot didn't, at least not at first, not until he remembered he was in the company of the three companions. That's wonderful, he lied, making his way towards the door. The way I fell for that, man, I'm an idiot. Okay, well, I guess I'm not going to get anything more than that. Ah, what a blast. We really must do this again sometime. Sorry I hit you so hard, Belsnickel said, wiping drool from his beard. Oh, that, I've forgotten all about that already, which might have also been side effects from being hit so hard. He turned, reached for the doorknob, and paused. As pauses went, this one was dramatic. The kind of intense pause you get when someone farts in an elevator. There's just one more thing, Finklefoot said, turning back to the room. What he would have given for a half-chewed cigar. Again, this is a reference to Columbo. The companions quietened down. Hmm. The companions quietened down and regarded Finklefoot with something akin to interest. Can I use your toilet before I go? I'm boasting for a piss. And that is the end of chapter 18. This is fantastic. I think everyone can agree. I hope you agree. I mean, as fantastic as a bad book can be. Back to the book, I guess. Chapter 19. It was a civil twilight, which meant that the sun had only set a few degrees below the horizon and not that it went around being overly nice. And what? What the fuck does this even mean? It was a civil twilight. All right. Chapter 19. It was a civil twilight, which meant that the sun had only set a few degrees below the horizon and not that it went around being overly nice to everyone. Because of the perpetual brightness, elves could continue their day as if nothing had changed, which was all fine and dandy for most of them, but it played havoc with the lives of the night watchmen. I don't know why I had to come along, Mrs. Claude said, pinching her nose between thumb and forefinger. It was cold in the stable and her nipples had stiffened between her red and white brassiere. It was something, Santa thought, to hang his tools on if his arm grew tired. You've never never needed my help mucking out the reindeer before. Santa straightened up. The shit piled on to the end of his shovel, slipped off, hitting the stable floor with a meaty thump. I'm not letting you out of my sight, dear, he said. Not until we figured out what's going on around here. Mm, I, am, I am reading all of this very weirdly. Mm? He scooped up the shit and carried it across the stable to where a large black bag sat open in the floor. I mean, the kidnappers of ours might be a rapist. He continued to shake the shit off the shovel. He said the last word like it burned on his tongue. How would you like that, huh? Get dragged off to some basement where you'd be finger-fucked and buggered to within an inch of your life? Jessica Claus's eyes lit up for a moment. And then it struck her that the perpetrator might be of the tall variety. Any stirring she felt quickly dissipated. As you may remember from last chapter, Mrs. Claus has a fetish for shore people and is fucking all of the elves or most of them but not Finklefoot no until we've caught this monster it's best that you don't leave my side Santa scooped up another mound of deer shit brackets blitzens he knew that curvature anywhere and transported it to the bag Mrs. Claus shivered no one had the bollocks to tell her she would be much warmer if she didn't walk around the place like a half-naked coquette do you really believe that dumb elf of yours is going to get to the bottom of this mess flugelflang isn't dumb Santa reproached he's just a little what's the word little Mrs. Claus said no he's the right elf for the job Santa said you'll see he'll figure out what's happening around here and then just then something thunked onto Santa's neck he dropped the shit laden shovel and slapped his hand over the affected area there was something there a projectile of some sort and when he pulled it free he saw that it was a dart on its flight was the internationally recognized symbol for you're about to have a very bad fucking day or the skull and crossbones as it's more commonly known what is it Mrs. Claus asked stepping towards her husband and the miniature thingobob he held in his hand is that a dart 
Suddenly, Mrs. Claus screeched, her eyes widened, and her mouth fell open to reveal an already swollen tongue. She reached around and yanked something from her ass, which turned out to be another dart identical to the one Santa had just pulled from his neck. What's going on? She said. Though her tongue was inflating at an incredible rate, she knew those would be her last words for a while. Santa dropped to his knees, though not in despair. He just couldn't control his legs anymore. Luckily, as a fat man, he had plenty of padding over his kneecaps, so it didn't do too much damage. The wooden floor beneath him, however, splintered immediately spider-webbed out to her eight nervous reindeer watched with absolute fascination. I think we've been poisoned, he said. The Darth, there's something in the Darth. He dropped the dart with its none-too-friendly flight and watched as it rolled across the stable floor, coming back to a halt only when it met a giant black boot. Mrs. Claus joined her husband on the floor, completely paralyzed. She landed awkwardly one boob out, the other pushed up against her left ear, and no matter how hard she tried, she couldn't roll over to see why the fat bastard's eyes were so wide. His mouth trembling with horror, his frown so deep. No, Santa said. This can't be. Well, it is, you fat son of a bitch, a voice growled. Mrs. Claus thought she recognized it, but her tongue had become so distended in her mouth that everything sounded wrong. How are my drugs working for you, hmm? Santa dropped to the left like a toppled statue and remained there inert and ineffectual. He said, even though he didn't know what it was meant to be. Just relax, the voice hissed as it circled the following clauses. You're going to start feeling very sleepy, and when you wake up, oh, when you wake up, you're going to be so impressed with what I've been working on. Santa's eyes rolled into the back of his head. He was losing it, losing touch with reality, which was a remarkable state of affairs given what he did for a living. The darts' contents, whatever the hell they were, had reduced him to a slobbering, slumbering wreck in less than 20 seconds. You should feel honored, the voice said, though it was fuzzy now as if it was coming to them through several gallons of water. This is going to make one hell of a Christmas card. One for all the family. One that can be treasured year after year. Santa huffed. It was almost impossible to breathe now. Just then, the walkie-talkie in his buckle hissed and crackled, and then the voice on his second-in-command, or at least one of them, came through loud and clear. I think it's Krampus, the voice said. He thinks it's me, Krampus said, leaning down and snatching the walkie-talkie from the fat bastard's belt. Who is this, he said, speaking to the walkie-talkie. There was a slight pause, as Krampus had anticipated, and then a tiny, shaky voice said, Who is this? Krampus sighed. He played a lot of tedious games in his lifetime, including the week-long poker tournaments with the rest of the companions, but this game, this game was never going to take off the same way, say, Monopoly had. I asked you first, Krampus said, as Santa and Mrs. Claus drifted slowly and inexorably into unconsciousness. Krampus had time to wonder if Mrs. Claus was cold in her getup before the small, timorous voice said, Can you put the fat bastard on, please? I promise I'm not trying to sell anything. Krampus laughed. It was a terrible laugh. It was the kind of laugh one associates with Bond villains and tax-dodging politicians. The kind of laugh that created goose flesh out of thin air. Your boss is, how should I put it, otherwise engaged. Krampus pressed another button on the walkie-talkie, for he was not to be trusted with buttons of any shape or size. What does this one do, he said. Oh, you've pushed the Green Goblin button, the voice said. You might not be able to hear it on your end, but you sound just like, you know, it doesn't matter. What do you mean he's by otherwise engaged? Krampus proving once again that he was nothing, if not capable of multitasking, dropped Santa Claus's feet. I mean, he said he can't come to the phone right now because he's a little bit unconscious. Silence. More silence. A crackle, then a soup con. How do you say that word? I'm going to say soup con because I don't know. A crackle, then a soup con of nothingness before the voice returned. Krampus, he said, it wasn't a question. Krampus had hogtied Mrs. Claus, and not just because she liked it and was dragging her across to the open sack he'd laid on the floor. You're remarkably good at this. I'm looking for a few good elves. How would you like to be part of something truly unique? 
I wouldn't, said the voice. What have you done with them all? What have you done with Rudolph and Santa? Krampus stuffed the fat bastard into a sack. Brackets, it was a very large sack, the heavy-duty kind you use for garden waste, and pulled the drawstring, cutting off his pudgy captive snoring, or at least muting it a little. Don't worry, Krampus said, no one is dead yet. Maybe once the reindeer pushed out a shit, that would all change. Why are you doing this? This is the land of Christmas. People don't go around kidnapping other people. We're not Mexicans. Are we still using that joke? Can you think of a better one? As a reminder, Matter of fact, Krampus couldn't. And why should he? It wasn't his job to come up with such things. Instead, he slung the two sacks across his shoulder. Needless to say, one of them was a hell of a lot heavier than the other, meaning he walked with a lopsided gait and almost ended up with the remaining reindeer. What are you going to do with them? The voice asked. It's not Christmas policy to negotiate with terrorists. Not that there was any government in place to spearhead such negotiations. Whoever had set up the system all those years ago really hadn't put too much thought into it at all. I'm going to stitch them together, Krampus said, I'm going to stitch them arse to mouth so that they are one long singular organism. It is what shall be forever known as the Human Santipede. He sniggered as he said it. Such a great name. Such a brilliant idea. There was a pause. Krampus could almost hear miniature cogs rotating as his fellow communicator turned the information over his head. Wouldn't it be an inhuman centipede, the voice cropped up? I mean, if you wanted to be really pedantic about it. I'm toying with the idea of brackets, Krampus said. I don't know how it will. Look, it doesn't matter. What matters is that this Christmas is not going to happen. 2014, the year this book was released, will be the year of the Krampus and the year that Santa shat into the faces of those that revere him so foolishly. But don't you see, the voice pleaded, that by killing Christmas you are in fact killing yourself? Don't you have homes to visit too, children to disappoint and terrify? Without Christmas you are nothing. All of us were nothing. Krampus trundled away from the stables, his cargo swinging behind him like Adolf's ball bag. Again, I assume an English saying... You will all be nothing, he hissed into the walkie-talkie. I will be the creator of the human centipede. Yeah, I'm not feeling the name at all. What does it sound like with brackets? Look, I don't have time for this, Krampus said. It's snowing like a motherfucker again, and I'm carrying a fat saint and his whore devil wife. You've got Jessica too, the voice gasped. Of course I have, Krampus said. When I came up with the idea of sewing hundreds of elves together, she was the first thing I thought of. Funny that, isn't it? Not really. The voice sounded bored now, as if its owner had a million and one things it would rather have been doing than conversing with a maniacal companion. You'll never get away with this, Krampus, and even if you do, you'll never work in this town again. Krampus sighed. Promises, promises. He slithered. Well, must dash. These mouths and arse holes aren't going to stitch themselves together. And with that, he dropped the Spider-Man walkie-talkie and crushed it beneath one heavy boot. Two would have been overkill. He whistled a tuneless ditty, nothing remotely Christmassy, and then went about his work like the consummate professional he was turning out to be. Finklefoot stared down at the walkie-talkie in the only way he could, as if it had just called him a dirty midget. Krampus was behind the disappearances, and now he had the fat bastard and Mrs. Claus. He was going to do horrific things to them, things that only a sick mind could come up with. A human centipede, a string of grotesque malformed elves... Sewn to, all sewn together to form some one gruesome creature? Well, this, Finklefoot said, shaking his head and trying his damnness not to pass out, is a bit of a clusterfuck. As understatements went, it was up there with Mumbai is not the cheapest place in the world to live and cannibalism is frowned upon in most societies. <sighs> uh, I'm glad that four of you are watching or listening. It is heartening. I tell you that much. But I'm not alone in the world. Or maybe I am. One person said they couldn't hear. One person said they wanted to ask a question and then didn't. So uh, let's proceed on to chapter 20, shall we? Of 
the human centipede. Oh, this this Kindle is not showing me what per, a percentage. Oh, 65% done. Thank the Lord. <laughs> Chapter 20. The workshop had come to a grinding halt as far as work was concerned, which was always the case whenever Santa and his wife left the building. A couple of the braver elves had ventured outside for a quick smoke, while a couple of the more suicidal elves were up in the fat bastard's office raiding his brandy supplies. Bodies, some partially inebriated, ambled aimlessly from one station to another, striking up conversations with whoever would listen. It was a rare occurrence, and one that might not be repeated this side of the big day, and so it was no surprise that people were making the most of it. How did the old adage go? A change is as good as a rest. Is that an adage? I'm not sure. Well, the workshop had certainly changed in the hour or so since Santa's departure, so much so that several of the elves had fallen asleep at their tables. Shall I change the music? Gizzo shouted from the first floor mezzanine. His question was answered with a thousand signed yeses. After 18,000 repetitions, any song is bound to get on your nerves. Won't Santa know we were in his office if we change the music? Rat asked, and a damn fine question it was. Are you kidding me? Gizzo said. He's been at that sherry all day. He wouldn't know if, if we changed the tape to Metallica. He rushed across the landing and slipped into the fat bastard's office. Rat followed as rats are wont to do and watched as his colleague located the boom box and switched the tape. After a moment of hissing, the opening chords of Bobby Helm's Jim Jingle Bell Rock seeped out through the speakers across the workshop, much to the satisfaction of the workers below. It wouldn't last. Come next year, they would be screaming out for a different song. Come on, Rat said. If we get caught in here, we'll have our guts for garters. This time tomorrow, we'll be dressed as leprechauns in the human world, selling marshmallow cereal in some overcrowded shopping mall. Gizzo shrugged. You say that like it's a bad thing. They walked out into the mezzanine and down the steps. My great-grandfather was a leprechaun for years. Says it was the best thing that ever happened to him, and he doesn't even like green. Rat was about to retort when he noticed a kerfuffle amongst the workers. Someone was pushing through the crowd, tearing their way through the sea of half-drunken elves to get to them? Is that Finkelfoot, Gizzo said? Rat nodded, eager to get back at it, I suppose, he said. You know what he gets like when he's away from his station for too long. They had once watched their foreman squeeze three shifts into two just to please the fat bastard. It was little wonder that Finkelfoot had very few friends inside and outside of the workshops. Joseph Fitzel had more buddies than Finkelfoot. I have no idea who that is. And the way he was careening through the half-cut elves, he'd have even less by the end of the day. Rat and Gizzo arrived back at their stations a few seconds before Finklefoot. Shart was putting the finishing touches on an extremely unattractive doll. It was, Shart thought, the kind of doll that serial killers possessed to enact vengeance upon the humans that ended their killing spree. Finklefoot gasped for air. He was plastered with snow, and as it melted, steam rose up all around him. It took him quite a while to get his words out, and when he did, the three members of his gang wished he hadn't bothered. What do you mean Santa's been kidnapped, Shart said, popping the final leg into the hideous doll's socket? This isn't Mex. Can we not do the Mexico joke? again, Finklefoot interrupted. Once is fine, but now we're starting to sound racist. We wouldn't want to come off as racist, Rat said. I mean, we're not Irish. Rimshot. So why would anyone kidnap Santa, Gizzo said, removing his little green hat and scratching the bald patch beneath. It's Krampus, Finklefoot said, staring down at the ghastly doll in Shart's hand. Is that thing meant to look like that? Shart nodded. I think so. Though it did look extraordinarily creepy, but wasn't that true of some newborn kids? Most, in fact. Why would Krampus kidnap the fat bastard, Rat asked. Keep your voice down, Finklefoot whispered. The last thing we need is to unnecessary panic. You see, it's not just Santa that's been abducted. Krampus has Jessica too and Rudolph as well as 50 of Hattie Herman's lot. Holy shit, Shart said. That's bad. It was bad, but it would be far worse if the rest of the workshop had found out about it. Many of them had relatives over at the liquor's factory. Finklefoot knew for sure that Ahura's sister worked there, rolling up the Catherine wheels. There would be chaos if news got out that Krampus had lost his mind and had 
intended to surgically attack elf, reindeer, and fat saint to form a human centipede. He's going to stitch them all together, Finklefoot said, grimacing at the very thought of such an irreverent behavior. To make some sort of brackets in human centipede chart, said, frowning. Oh, so that's what the brackets sound like, Finklefoot said. Yeah, it's exactly what's, what he's going to do. I don't know what pushed Krampus over the edge, but he's determined to ruin Christmas this year, and it's up to us to stop him. There was a collective sigh as Shart, Rat, and Gizzo looked at anything that wasn't their foreman. To make eye contact was to accept that they just heard him, and that was just silly. Boys, I can't do this on my own, Finklefoot said, giving the last word a syllable or two that was more than it was required. If Christmas doesn't happen, that's it for us. It's not like Valentine's Day. We just can't miss a year and hope that no one notices. If Krampus succeeds, the land of Christmas will shrivel up like a dick in an ice bath. And then, when it's all shriveled and small, it will completely vanish. If you hadn't noticed, there's more than a bit of magic swirling around here. And what do you think will happen to that magic if Christmas doesn't happen? Shart shrugged. I'm thinking nothing good, he said. Exactly. Exactly. Who knows what will become of us? Perhaps we'll just cease to exist like an Amelia Earhart or that kid actor from E.T. Maybe we'll explode or implode or both at the same time. Maybe we'll go to heaven and be given 70 virgins apiece, Rat said, smiling slightly. Don't be ridiculous, Finklefoot said. This is the land of Christmas, not fucking Narnia. Besides, how many elf virgins do you know? We are an incredibly horny race, Shart said. I'm horny right now. He glanced down at the ugly doll he'd been working on a moment ago. Horny? Yes. Desperate? No. The point is, Finglefoot said, trying to remember if there was one, that if we don't do something to stop Krampus, everything we know and love is going to suffer. We've all had our issues with the fat bastard over the years, but does he deserve this? Does Jessica Claus deserve this? Shark glanced at Rat, who turned to Gizzo, who in turn simply shrugged. I don't suppose we're going to get danger pay for this, he said. Or pay, Shart added. We'll get so much more than pay, Finklefoot said. We'll be revered across the land. We'll be celebrated wherever we go. We'll be treated like royalty. He hoped the last part wasn't true, for the stories he's heard about royalty always culminating in a jolly good beheading. We want a song, Shart said, straightening up something that'll be played every Christmas in the human world. And Elton John has to write it, and it has to start playing in malls across America in October. That way it gets three whole months, which is plenty long enough to become embedded in consumers' heads for the rest of their lives. Finklefoot smiled. I'm sure that can be arranged, she said. And if Elton John can't do it, I'll get Barry Gibb. As long as he doesn't sing it, Rat said, we want it to be catchy but not annoying. So, do we have a deal, Finklefoot said. Finklefoot regarded each of his gang with optimism. You boys are going to help save Christmas. Rescue the fat bastard and put an end to Krampus's madcap plan. Like we've got anything better to do, Gizzo said. Just give me five minutes, Shart said. Running for the toe. <laughs> Just give me five minutes, Shart said, running for the toilet block and pulling at his dungaree zipper as he went. I wasn't lying when I said I was horny. Ba-da-ba-ba-doop-bap. 69% done. Thank the Jeebus. Chapter 21. You better watch out. You better not cry. Krampus sang as he pushed the needle through Mrs. Claus' oral mucosa and into the fleshy meat of the fat bastard's ass for the umpteenth time. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. He laughed, then bit through the thread. Santa Claus is coming to town. Not... He stood and took a few steps back so he could take it all in. Remarkable, he said, absolutely splendid. He walked along one side of the creature, occasionally kicking it out at a panicking elf, and then down the other side. Better than I could have ever imagined it, he said. The grin beneath his hood was now a perpetual thing, and not just a fluke. It was finished. The human centipede. Brackets, inhuman centipede, if you were an obfuscate. 
Gator, and it turned out that there were more of them out there than Krampus could ever have anticipated was complete. Krampus couldn't believe he'd done it. He'd actually done it. No more talk, no more beating around the proverbial bush. He was the only companion with the bollocks to pull off something like this, and he couldn't wait to show them his creation in all its grotesque glory. Just then, from the very front of the organism, a gruff and tired voice said, Ho, ho, holy fuck, my ass is sore! Krampus danced, for he was in a fantastic mood and didn't care a pip that he looked like a drunken swan. Along the Centipede, smacking Jessica Claus's derriere as he passed. She squeaked, but nothing more. She hadn't quite come to yet, unlike her husband, who was now shaking his head and trying to figure out why his legs refused to do as he wished. Ah, Krampus said as he moved around the front of the creature, you're awake and not a moment too soon. I should have known you had something to do with all this, Santa said through gritted teeth, but what I don't understand is why. Is this because I'm better than you in practically every way? Is it? Is it because I get to wear the red and white and you have to walk around wrapped in black like some goth Buddhist? Is it because my beard is always so clean and yours, well, yours looks like something you would pull from Gandalf's plug hole? Krampus's dark and demonic face shriveled up as if he'd sucked on an overly ripe lemon. The fat bastard really knew how to push his buttons. Even now, on his knees and ass to mouth with his beloved Jessica, his mouth ran away with him. It was terribly frustrating for Krampus, who was hoping for tears and pleas. I see you're still a little mouthy, Krampus said, walking across the cold, damp room to where a bottle sat upon a trestle table. He picked up the bottle and grinned. Maybe I should have put you halfway down the line, though I doubt even 30-second hand shits would have silenced the likes of you. Santa shuddered at the thought. You're making a big mistake, he said, though he had a feeling it was a little too late. Krampus had gone too far, and when people go too far, they tend to see only one way out, and that's by going just a little bit further. Am I, Krampus said? Santa figured it was entirely rhetorical, and not something he should even deign to answer. This has been coming for centuries, you chubby cunt. People will only take so much, and you finally overstepped the mark. Santa frowned. He had no idea what he had done to invoke such madness, especially from one of his own. What if I were to offer you a role as my second-in-command? It was a long shot, but there didn't appear to be any short shots available to him. Krampus prowled across the room, stooping just in front of Santa's face. You would do that for me? Make me your deputy? He fluttered his dark red eyelashes with mock elatedness and growled. You must think I'm a fucking idiot. I've spent the last God knows how many millennia helping you, taking care of the little shits that you can't be bothered with, and for what? You must think I was born yesterday. All that Sherry's gone to your head, you daft old twat. Santa was about to speak when a glass bottle was thrust into his open mouth. The liquid, whatever it was, caught him by surprise, and before he had a chance to close his throat hole, half the bottle was on its way to his stomach. Gasping for air and drooling what remained of the acrid fluid into his beard, Santa said, what was that? Krampus began to read the bottle as if he wasn't even certain. It says here, it's Laxy Max. I'll let you figure out the rest. Santa gawped in horror. You, you evil. Yes, yes, we've already established that, Krampus said, tapping the bottle with his right horn. Now, if I were you, I'd try to relax. It'll help with the, well, everything will just run smoother if you don't talk. You son of a... was as far as the fat bastard got before his stomach began to roll. He grunted. Works faster than I thought, Krampus said, investigating the empty bottle. I'll buy this one again. It says it's a number two bestseller, but I think that's just a joke. Oh, Ooh, ooh, Santa said, closing his eyes behind him. His wife, a reindeer, and 50-odd elves all whined in unison. That's the end of chapter 21. Oh, Lord. Make this go faster. <laughs> chapter 22. 
The four elves stood in front of their huge mansion, staring at one another, their eyes filled with fear and trepidation. Their hearts pounded faster than Ron Jeremy on speed. None of them knew what they were doing, just that it was so ridiculous that it just might work. Is that door knocker a scrotum, Shart asked, pointing at the bronze thingamajig. Finglefoot shrugged and removed his water pistol from his belt. This is probably going to go south really quick, he said. It was four against three, technically, but they were elves and the companions were bloody, great, big, muscular things with veins on the outside and masculine beards. In essence, it was like pitting a quartet of mice against a trio of pit bulls. You're absolutely right, Rat said. So why don't we cut out the middleman, the bit where we're attacked and beaten to within an inch of our lives, and throw ourselves out in the street now? We wouldn't even have to knock the door. No, we have to try, Finklefoot said. Besides, I have this. He held up the water pistol for the others to see. Unsurprisingly, it didn't elicit a collective cheer of relief. Oh, well, why didn't you say so, Shart said, his voice drenched with sarcasm. Everyone relax, our fearless leader is packing, and you've all heard the stories about how much the companions hate water, especially when it's leaking towards them. In a singular jet at five miles per hour. Finklefoot sighed. It's not an ordinary water pistol, he said, though it sure did look like one. The fat bastard gave it to me. He said it was in his safe. Were there other things in the safe, Gizzo asked, like those little snapper things that go bang when you throw them down? Oh, you're talking about nuclear warheads, Smart Shart said, smiling. Now, those we could use. Look, Finklefoot said, trying to remain calm. Just trust me, I've got this, and leave the talking to me. Things could get very confusing if we all start prattling on. Hey, this is your show, Shart said, taking a step back. Do you want a leg up so you can reach the bronze ball bag? Turning to the door, Finklefoot took a deep breath and hammered as hard as he could with the barrel of the water pistol, brackets that he hoped wasn't a water pistol. Behind him, there were rustlings and mutterings as elven cohorts fought the urge to run away as quickly as possible. Come on, come on, Finglefoot whispered. It would be just our luck if they've gone off for a game of late night golf, he thought. He cast his mind back to earlier in the day, saw the myriad empty bottles lined up at the bar, on the poker table on the floor. There was a very good chance they were all three comatose. Rumbling on the other side of the door extinguished any hope that the companions had drunk themselves into a stupor. Finglefoot tensed up, his bones audibly cracked, his bowels relaxed, his trousers audibly squeaked. The door thunked, the door opened. A beard appeared in the crack above which set a pair of baffled and slightly glassy eyes. The door began to shut again. Then there was an almighty explosion of blue light and the door flew backwards, leaving its hinges attached to the doorframe. Bell's nickel became very small very quickly as he soared back into the mansions, his leg kicking out as they left the ground, possibly the first time since he was born. It all happened so quickly and yet in super slow motion at the same time, which was a little disconcerting for the four L's watching from the hole in the front of the building. It wasn't until Bell's nickel slammed into the wall at the end of the hallway, toppling a rather fetching watercolor portrait himself in the process. The thing seemed to speed up again, and then it was sheer madness. Connect Rupert and not as white as everyone else Pete appeared in the hallway still cradling their respective poker hands as if they still didn't trust Bell's nickel despite the fact that he was all but splattered against the far wall. For a moment, neither of them saw the assembly of Bell standing in what used to be a very nice doorway and then followed the trail of debris as it was only a matter of time before it's that fucking Jehovah's Witness elf, Connect Rupert cried, and he's got the fat bastard's anti-companion water pistol, TM. They both lunged for cover, disappearing from the hallway and landing with a thump in the living room. The whole house shook. A chandelier fell from the ceiling and landed on the already battered Bell's nickel. Finglefoot, who was still holding the smoking water pistol, brackets, a miracle really considering what it had done to the mansion's frontage, swallowed hard. He turned around to find Shart, Rat, and Gizzo cowering in a bush. Either that or the force of the blast had sent them backwards. Turning back to the smoldering hole, Finglefoot said, that was an accident. I'm more than happy to pay for any damage. I know this elf, McFeagle, did a great job in my bathroom. Ah, who 
Who was he kidding? That was the single most exhilarating thing he'd ever done in his life. It was a pity he hadn't meant it. What do you want, a voice, Connect Ruprecht, Finkelfoot thought, said. Gone was a sonorous, menacing tone. It had been replaced by a quivering, terrified whine, the kind of voice Finkelfoot felt comfortable with, since they were on the same level. You can't kill us. Not as white as everyone else, Pete said. The fat bastard wouldn't allow it. Will you lot get out of that shrub, Finkelfoot whispered back to his gang. Honestly, you give an elf an inch and they'll try to take a yard. To the gloomy, smoky hallway, he said. We're not here to kill anyone. We need your help. Like I told you earlier, something terrible is happening to the land of Christmas. Something that could ruin us, all of us. There was a moment silent, and then Connect Rupert said, Put the anti-companion water pistol away and we'll talk. Finkelfoot thought about it and was about to replace the weapon when Sense made a brief appearance. The water pistol had just made the companion's mansion open plan. The last thing he wanted to do was push it back down his waistband where it might go off, thusly taking off his bottom half and leaving him even shorter than he already was. I've got nowhere to put it, he said, looking around. I've got nowhere to put it, he said, looking around for somewhere suitable to stow it, if only for a few minutes. Don't suppose either of you owns a holster, only I quite like my knackers. Pointed at the floor, Rupert said, we're coming out. Well, this is going better than expected, Shark said, pulling leaves and twigs from his pointy green hat. Thank the Lord for itchy trigger figures. Connect Rupert, and not as white as everyone else, Pete, appeared in the hallway and slowly walked towards the hole, their hands raised. Behind them, Belsnickel stirred, but that's all he did. I didn't mean to shoot him, Finklefoot said. It just went off. Just keep it pointed at the ground, Connect Rupert said. Sheesh, the fat bastard gave you that, Finklefoot nodded. I thought he was taking the piss. I didn't even know what it was, but now it makes perfect sense. It also makes perfect holes in ancient architecture, Rat said, running a stubby finger over the edge of the aperture. I'm very impressed. Can I hold it for a bit? Ignoring his colleague... Finklefoot said, The fat bastard's in danger. Krampus has kidnapped him and plans to make him into some abhorrent creature. He's a fat man with a beard who drinks a lot and sneaks into houses in the dead of night, leaving soot and chimney jizz all over the place before raiding the fridge. Not as white as everyone else, Pete said. How can he be made any more abhorrent? Wait, Connect Rupert said. Krampus has kidnapped the fat bastard? He shook his head. He finally did it. He finally went full-on Gary Busey wacko. I thought it was a little weird how he couldn't join us for poker. Head cold my arse. It's not just Santa he's abducted, Finklefoot said. He's got Jessica, too, and Rudolph, not to mention 50 of Hattie Herman's lot. Ah, he's going to make a human centipede out of them, Connect Rupert said without even flinching. You knew about this? Finklefoot was shocked. And yet, why should he be? Why should anything shock him anymore? He mentioned it, Connect Rupert said. We just thought he was batshit crazy. Never thought he would actually go through with it. Plus, we had this whole discussion about whether it should be inhuman centipede or even with brackets. Finklefoot had, for some reason or other, the sudden urge to shoot the still conscious companions where they stood, if only for shits and giggles. Well, he did it, and we can't stop him without your help. Sounds like you're doing a good job so far, not as white as everyone else, Pete said. To be honest, I don't fancy getting involved in all this. It sounds awfully messy. It'll be a lot messier if we don't do something about it, Shard said. Finklefoot's done the maths. If we don't stop Krampus, the land of Christmas and all its contents will fall apart quicker than a jealous swinger's orgy. Connect Rupert bunched his mouth up to one side the way people do when they're considering something tricky. So what you're saying is we don't really have a choice in the matter. Oh, you have a choice, Finklefoot said. It depends on whether the thought of vanishing in a mist of utter agony sounds appealing to you. So what you're saying is that we don't really have a choice in the matter, not as white as anyone else, Pete reiterated. If you want to put it that way, Finklefoot said, then yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. Connect Rupert sighed. Fair enough. He turned and gestured to the mess at the end of the hallway, a mess that had not long ago punched Finklefoot in the head. We'll just wait for Frank Bruno to wake up and we'll get a wriggle on. Finklefoot sighed with relief. A gesture echoed by his fellow elves. Not as white as everyone else, Pete leaned against the ruined doorframe. Do you think they'll write a song about us? You know, Finklefoot said, they'd bloody better. Yeah.
76%. Oh, golly. Chapter 23. Santa shook his head as his stomach continued to roll. Behind him, Mrs. Claus choked and sobbed, and behind her, Sissy and Jimbo coughed and sputtered. Rudolph knew what was coming and was thinking happy thoughts. Brackets, raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens. Bright copper kettles with warm wooden mittens. Brown paper packages tied up with strings, etc., etc. But it was no use. It was almost impossible to concentrate on anything but the kerfuffle taking place at the front of this monstrosity, of which Rudolph was very much a part. If I just keep my tongue here... At the back of the centipede, several of the elves were swaying from side to side, trying to break free of the madness, but to no avail. You could say what you wanted about Krampus, at least. You could if your mouth wasn't stitched to someone else's asshole. But you couldn't say he wasn't thorough. The sutures were excellent. No matter how hard the elves pulled, they couldn't break away. It had left at least ten of them with broken jaws. Krampus sat in a swivel chair in the front of the room, putting the finishing touches on his parade map. He couldn't decide whether it was best to take a right at the licorice factory so that those on shift could get a look at their humiliated workmates, or to the lake take a left down the pass, the stables. It was, he thought, a real pickle. There was only one thing for it. He picked up the phone and dialed. Ah, Hattie, he said far too gleefully for the circumstances. Yes, yes, they're being very well behaved. Yes, they know not to piss me off. What's that? No, I did not know about Trigger's asthma. He put one talon hand over the receiver and turned to the centipede. Which one of you is Trigger? About halfway along, the creature, a small stumpy arm, reached for the air. Krampus smiled, satisfied that the elf's asthma hadn't ruined his creation. The last thing he needed was a weak link. He's fine, Krampus said to the receiver. I don't know how long that'll last, but for now, he's still Still breathing, though I bet he wishes he wasn't. He laughed evilly. You'll have to excuse me. I haven't had this much fun since ACDC Donington 92. Anyway, again, another very English reference, I assume. Anyway, the reason I was ringing, yes, of course, they'll all be back at work tomorrow. It was a lie, but lying wasn't the worst thing he'd done that day. Could you bring the rest of your staff to the village in about an hour? I only, only I think you're going to want to see this. Yes, I... An hour and a half then? Yes, I know how busy you are, but Krampus was losing his cool. Okay, let me put it another way. If you're not in the village in an hour, then I'm going to come down there and feed you all into your little confectionery mixers. How does that sound? Oh, you will? That's marvelous. Thank you for being so accommodating. I will see you in an hour. He dropped the phone back into its cradle and leaned back into his chair. It was a silly thing to do since there was no back on it. Picking him up, picking himself up from the cold, hard ground, he made eye contact with the fat bastard. What are you looking at, Tubby? Why, Santa said groggily. Just why? He looked like a defeated man, exactly how one might imagine the head of a meaty, shitty snake to look. He had the same expression that politicians get when they're found to be fiddling their taxes. Why, Krampus said, dusting himself down. Why, why, why? Well, there are a lot of reasons, really. Do you remember the time you belittled me in front of the other companions for putting too much coal in children's socks? It made me feel about as big as one of your elves, you did. And what about the time you decided to dock me a year's privileges? You can't go around kicking elves in the face, Santa said. It's rude. Yes, well, we wouldn't want to be rude to your precious elves now, would we? He snorted. But the icing on the cake, the straw that broke the camel's back, the final stroke, the match in the powder barrel, Santa farted. Is this going to take long? The nail in the coffin, the Culp de Grazia was when I lent you my Max Blower 3000 and never got it back. Sometimes you hear something so ridiculous that simple speech becomes impossible. In that moment, Santa couldn't find any words, at least none that made any sense. Then, of course, there was the chore of putting them in some sort of coherent order. In the end, he decided not to bother. That's right, Krampus said. You remember, about 25 years ago, you came to me and asked if you could borrow my snowblower. I said, yes, of course, my dear friend. It's in the shed behind the coal sacks, next to the lawnmower that never gets used. Off you went, merry as always, belly shaking like a condom full of blamange off to deprive me of my only snowblower I possessed. If I had known I would never see it again, I would have at least took the time to wish it all the best for the future. 
This, Santa said incredulous, all of this is because of a snowblower. Not just any snowblower, Krampus corrected him, a Max Blower 3000. My Max Blower 3000. Do you have any idea how many sleepless nights I had over that snowblower? Do you know how many times I cried myself to sleep, yearning for the feel of it in my hand was again? You've got to be shitting me, Santa. Check the corners of the room, looking for hidden cameras, for this had to be some ill-conceived prank. This is the second time in the book that someone has looked for cameras that they thought they were being pranked. Krampus straightened up Santa was grateful The companion's breath was disagreeable To the point of being offensive I wouldn't expect you to understand You rotund rascal He sneered You're the man that has it all And what you don't have Your elves are only too proud To build it for you You're like a fat Richard Branson Now that, Santa thought Is not fair He only had one aircraft And it ran on magic Not the souls of virgins the snowblower is, he tried to remember what he'd done with it 25 years ago, was a long time, even in the land of Christmas. There were days where days dissolved into one another like antacids in the water. Well, it's somewhere up at the workshop. I can have 800 elves looking for it within the hour. All you have to do is let us go. Krampus shook his head and clicked his tongue. Never a good sign. This isn't about the slow snowblower anymore, he said, though it sort of was. Just thinking about it, its dual motor and the sweet, sweet noise it made when it started up brought a tear to the corner of his eye. This is about making a point. It's about standing up and being counted. Unfortunately, you can't stand up, which means I win. Yes, yes, you win, Santa said, just as his bowels unloaded once again. Behind him, Jessica Claus squealed and sobbed. Her diet had gone right up the swanee. You've made your point. I don't think any of us will ever forget what's happened here today. And his stomach growled and he grunted. I'll make a public apology. I'll pull out all the stops. I'll, you'll suffer, Krampus said. And you'll do it on your knees where you belong. For far too long, you've been ruler of this land. Not anymore. Things are going to change around here. And by change, I mean come to an end. <laughs> I'm glad that you find the poopa sanding so festive. You will spend what little time you have left walking around the village, leading my centipede wherever it takes you. And I shall watch. Wait, why would he lead it? where it takes him out or whatever. And I shall watch and laugh and enjoy every six second of it. As if to show how he intended to laugh, he laughed. It wasn't quite what, what Santa had expected. But if Christmas doesn't happen, Santa said, you will all cease to exist. You will cease to exist. Exist. Krampus nonchalantly shrugged. Small price to pay to prove a point, he said. Unlike you, I don't enjoy Christmas the same way I used to. Maybe I've grown out of it. Maybe I'm just tired. Maybe, and this is just a theory, I couldn't give a shit whether kids have been bad or good. It's not like we have anything to do with them for the other 364 days a year. Even the good ones had the, the capacity to grow up to be silly, uh, ugh, into serial killers. Are you still banging on about Dahmer? Santa gritted his teeth. As his body racked with pain, that was 50 years ago. Wait a minute. No, it was, Jerry, Jeffrey Dahmer wasn't 50 years ago. Not even in 2014. And I know, I lived in Milwaukee then. Anyway, you gave him a plastic barbecue kit and a box of disembodied dolls, Krampus said. Don't you feel a little bit responsible? Lifting a weary hand, Santa groaned. Look, we, all, we do our jobs, that's all. That's all we can do. Why should we feel bad? In 1947, he had gifted Lee Harvey Oswald Oswald a toy rifle. How was he to know that the guy would grow up into a grade A wacko? In 1980, he'd hand-delivered a typewriter to Stephanie Meyer. Was it his fault that she'd gone on to pen shitty, sparkly vampire novels? If you thought like that, Santa opined, you'd never give presents to anyone. Well, this time next week, you can thank me, Krampus said. You won't have to do your job anymore. None of us will. No more Christmas, no more petulant children, no more anything. Doesn't that sound absolutely delightful? For a moment, the fat bastard had to admit that it did. No more early 
early mornings, no more Bond film repeats, no more Cliff Richard. It sounded positively wonderful. The only downside would be the fading out of all existence. Uh, Without Christmas, the humans will tear each other apart. Santa found a little strength from somewhere. He pushed himself upwards. Uh, what? <laughs> Mrs. Claus screeched, grabbing her husband by his love handles and dragging him back to the ground. Sorry, love, Santa said. Got a little bit carried away. To Krampus, he said, you won't just be killing us. You won't be massacring the humans, too. You'll be massacring the humans, too. They won't be able to survive without the hope that Christmas brings. Hadn't thought about it like that, Krampus said, his bottom lip protruding slightly. That's a cheeky bonus. Never could stand those games. And their sense of annual entitlement Well, we don't owe them anything If they go under just because they wake up on Christmas morning And find the tree bereft of presents So be it Santa couldn't believe what he was hearing This, he thought, is what madness sounds like Actually, madness sounded like dolphins mating But this was close enough Now, if you would keep your thoughts to yourself for a while, Krampus said, unhooking what looked like a dog leash from the hook in the wall, we're going to get ready for a little walk. Put on a brave face. Nope, not that one. That's a despondent face. Try this. He smiled and arched his eyebrows. Santa began to cry, much to Krampus's chagrin. Oh, well, I suppose that'll have to do. He stepped toward the fat bastard, the leash clinking and clanking in his almost demonic grasp. This can't be real, Santa thought. This is too ridiculous to be happening. An ancient and magical saint tasked with delivering billions of presents across seven continents in less than eight hours, including the umpteenth service station stops. The irony was not lost on him. Oh, that is the end of chapter 23. I need to get another beer. Uh, so while that is happening, the beer getting, uh, I will play this song. It's some old rap from uh, a long time ago. It's probably going to repeat. I'll be right back. Oh yeah, Christmas time. What? 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 Okay, enough of that. Okay, and that was some stuff I recorded off the radio in the 1980s. For real. Okay, back to chapter 24. Of the human centipede. Chapter 24. Heavy snow once again blanketed the village, kept at a reasonable depth thanks to the sudden footfall of hundreds of intrigued elves. Lights strung from lampposts and houses blinked red and yellow and green and white and lots of other colors that you're probably already familiar with. Jingle Bell Rock drifted down from the workshop for the 58th time and yet no one seemed to mind. Something big was afoot, something exciting. Lining both sides of the street, the elves chuntered on amongst themselves. Sure. They were grateful to get out of the licorice factory, if only for an hour. The fact that none of them knew why Hattie Herman had led them down to the village as if on some sort of a field trip brackets, but without the tag-along parents, didn't seem to matter. I heard it was the great Ronnie Corbett, one elf said somewhat optimistically. What, the little fella? Said another from an elf that was rich. 
I heard we were going to get a bonus, a pudgy elf with a beard that could choke a donkey added, that the fat bastard finally come to his senses, that he realized all of a sudden that he's essentially running a sweatshop. Nah, said a female elf who was knitting and therefore not really taking part in the conversation, not wholly anyhow. The only bonus we're going to get is extra shifts. I've been on since shit. She dropped a stitch, and everyone knows that drop stitches are the cancer of the patchwork quilt world. Three o'clock this morning, she finally said. If that ain't bad enough, ten of the elves from my section pissed off this afternoon, didn't even tell Hattie where they were going or how long they would be. I wouldn't want to be in their shoes when they come back. Why, did they have small feet? A clever and yet nondescript elf said. Yeah, whatever's going on, the knitter said, they need to hurry up about it, or I'll be able to use my nipples to finish this scarf. Just then a horn sounded, causing several elves to jump, and at least one to topple back into the snow, clutching at his chest, saying, Gar! Aye, aye, the knitter said, tucking her needlework away for a later date. Looks like the show's about to start. As cheers went up all around the village, a strange atmosphere settled over the land. It was as if one person had left the gas on, and everyone else was too stubborn to do anything about it. The horn sounded again, and this time... What was that? Shard asked, pushing his way through a snowdrift. Only the top of his hat was visible, but it was a very nice hat, and it was his going-out hat, which seemed apt since he was, in fact, out. It sounded like a horn, Belsnickel said. He and the other companions were faring much better in the snow, proving once and for all that height is often a great commodity when it is used in a correct manner. Does anybody know what goes hurk? There are rumors, Rat said, stroking his chin as if he was saying would have any major effect on the history of the world. It wouldn't that the human female mammary makes such a sound when squeezed in exactly the right place. Of course, I have been wrong before. Oh, good, Finklefoot said, punching Snow aside with dual fists. You can add that one to the pile then. The horn hurnked again. That must be some mammary rat thought. It's coming from over there, Connect Ruprecht said, pointing across to their right. No, you're wrong, not as white as everyone else, Pete said. It came from over there. He extended a finger in the complete opposite direction. And I believe it is the same noise a sperm whale makes from its blowhole when its blowhole is plugged up with a rolled up copy of the Yellow Pages. Yes, Belsnickel agreed. That's what I thought it was, too. Finglefoot stopped walking and turned to face the lagging companions. It was strange to think that a few hours ago he wouldn't have dared talk to them the way he was about to. It was amazing the difference an anti-companion water pistol TM could make. Will you stop talking nonsense and just pick us up? He said, Gizzo Rat, you go on connect Ruprecht, Shark, climb onto Black Pete's. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Not as white as everyone else, Pete said. His mouth had fallen wide open. A robin, cute little thing with a red breast, just like on the cards you get from those family members you don't really get on with, landed on his listless bottom jaw before fluttering away again. Shit, Finglefoot said. Sorry, my bad. It's just a lot quicker to say Black Pete. He said it again! Bellsnagel gasped. Holy fuck, what is this, 1922? Finglefoot felt about a foot tall, which is not far from the truth. Look, it wasn't being racist. I mean, yes, we were still stitching gollywogs into the late 90s, but that doesn't put me on the same chart as Mel Gibson. Gibson. It kind of does, not as white as everyone else, Pete said. Do some of your sentences start with, I'm not racist, but? It's very rare, Rat said, which didn't help matters. Can we just concentrate on the matter in hand, Finklefoot said. We're all about to be expunged from existence, and you lot are yattering on about bollocks. I'm an elf. Do you hear me complaining? No, because that's the hand I was dealt. He moved around to Belsnickel's back and launched himself upwards, grappling for the companion's waist. Belsnickel, sensing the elf had bitten off more than he could chew, dropped to one knee and helped the poor sod to mount. The other elves clambered onto their respective 
brides. Connect Ruprecht had one on each shoulder, clinging to his beard for life. The horn sounded again. Herk. Onward, Finkelfoot said, pointing towards the source of the noise with the anti-companion water pistol, TM, and kicking Belsnickel's side hard and just above the ribs. The companion growled. Sorry, Finkelfoot said. That's okay, Belsnickel grunted, mainly because the pistol had almost blown him to smithereens back in the mansion, was brushing against his temple. The elf could have called Belsnickel's mother all the names under the sun, and he would have had to agree. Let's go save Christmas, Shart said, for what it's worth. The companions marched forward, the riders terrified and excited, slightly underdressed for what was shaping up to be a battle of epic proportions. Dungarees and pointy hats were no substitutes for chainmail and helmets when it came to war. They would have been safer heading down to the village in their birthday suits. At least then they would have had the shock factor on their sides. Herk. I wish they'd knock that off, said an elderly elf as he adjusted his hearing aid. There's no need for it. When I were a lad, this place was quiet. We could have heard a gnat fart from miles away. His little diatribe went on and on, but nobody was listening. They were too busy jostling for a better position, for the street was now filled with boisterous elves. They'd come from all over the village, and the news of the mystery show must have reached the workshop. The fat bastard's elves came a-rolling down the hill, asking anyone and everyone what was going on and what the bleeding racket was. The air was filled with anticipation and intrigue, and more than a little confusion as the land of Christmas came to a grinding halt, and nobody knew why. I haven't been this excited since Uncle Vern visited, a young elf called Undu Troyer said. Ah, Vern Troyer. Ah. Mini me. I haven't been this excited since they announced Dress Down Friday, said another whose name was not important nor necessary. Ladies and gentlemen, a chirpy yet guttural robotic voice said, I would like to thank each and every one of you for coming, though not many of you had a choice in the matter. Am I right? I'm right. He's right, said one elf, who would rather have been at home with a mug of Horlicks and a slice of Battenberg than standing out in the street rubbing her bits and bobs together just to stay warm. But Hattie Herman had made it very clear that any elves not in attendance would be dealt with the strictest of fashions. And I don't just mean a week in solitude, the confection loving slave driver had said most of the elves knew exactly what she meant strawberry lace lashes lots of them what you are about to see will disgust you it will amaze you but mostly it will disgust you it will inspire you but there's a good chance you'll be too disgusted to see it as anything other than an abomination you will be dumbfounded and disgusted and hopefully you will be disgusted and horrified but mainly just disgusted and also a bit saddened and angered and also of course disgusted there were mumblings from the crowd as they continued to speculate upon the nature of the evening's entertainment one elf reckoned meatloaf was about to burst from one of the houses like a bat out of hell and start working through his repertoire of quasi-romantic rock ballads, but that was just a wishful thinking for that elf sure did idolize Meatloaf. You're all no doubt wondering what has become of your governor. Hmm? And I am most certain that a lot of you are concerned about the well-being of his wife, the delectable and slightly sullied Jessica Claus. Well, let me be the one to tell you that they are both doing fine as are the missing elves from the licorice factory and Rudolph. How could anyone forget about Rudolph with his nose so bright and all that tomfoolery? Yes, they are all alive and, well, you will see for yourselves in just a moment. The crowd applauded. So far, it was a good show. Much better than the time David Blaine came to entertain the masses. Three days encased in a block of ice was not so impressive in the land of Christmas, where you didn't have to walk to the end of your street to see a fellow elf in the exact same predicament. Can I request that flash photography be kept to a minimum, the automaton loud hailer voice continued, and that nobody attempts to stroke or feed the special guest as it moves through the village. The spectators all nodded in unison. No flash, no feed. Even they couldn't fuck that up, as if to prove them wrong, there was a second of a bright light before someone called out an apology. Elves of the land of Christmas, I give you. He's milking this for all his worth, isn't he? Said a disgruntled voice from the crowd. The human centipede. What happened in those next 30 seconds would go down in history, which wasn't saying a lot since there might not be a lot of present left to convert to history, but the elves gathered in the center of the village weren't to know that. A 
hooded figure appeared at the end of the street, a loud hailer in one hand and a leash in the other. It was what was on the end of the leash, though, that caused the audience to gasp in horror and at least 30 of them to swoon. A horror of the jigsaw puzzle section vomited into her own hands before sinking into the snow, squealing like a caged chinchilla. Machidup passed out so hard that the elves standing around her had no choice but to follow suit. Blinker and Brewster, the only conjoined twins of the land of Christmas, tried to run away, but Blinker went one way and Brewster the other, which meant they didn't get as far as either of them had hoped. It's ghastly, one up-chucking elf screeched. It's a monster, added another. Surely it should be called the inhuman centipede, said a third. At least with brackets, concurred a fourth. It was utter chaos. Utter bedlam of elves attempted to put as much distance between themselves and the aberration as they could. A few of the more opportunistic elves saw it as a perfect excuse to loot and... <laughs> that is that, well, I find that entertaining. And were therefore running along the street with stolen goods twice their size. One elf slipped on the snow and landed on his back with a thump. The 52-inch plasma screen he'd been carried landed on his stomach with more or less the same sound effect. What has become of our beloved leader? Ahura said, pulling her face from the vomity snow. He's been made into a beast, someone yelled, leaping over her and almost taking her hat clean off. A beast, I tell you. I don't think I ha- I don't think my heart can take it, one of Hattie Herman's licorice workers said. A moment later, he clutched his chest. Nope, I was right, he said before falling back into the snow, and the grotesque centipede kept coming, dragged through the streets by the hooded lunatic who was laughing and cackling, and, in a fashion, dancing. Where are you all going, the maniac said, his voice amplified by the loud hailer. This is what you all came to see, he gestured to the creature beside him and kicked Santa in what would have been the ribs had the fat bastard not had fifty inches of blubber in front of them. I'll never shake the image, one elf cried before leaping to his death from the roof of his house. A second later, his head appeared in the deep snow, nestled up against the frontage. Bollocks, he said. Eight reindeer were smoking and nattering among themselves when the centipede ambled past the stables. Blitzen almost choked on his Marlboro while Donner and Prancer set about resuscitating Dasher. I always knew he'd show his true colors, Vixen said, nonchalantly flicking a hoof towards Rudolph. You can always tell, can't you? One minute they're showing off with their great big red noses. The next, well, just look at it. The reindeer all turned and as the bloody battered elf in front of Rudolph began to glow red. He's still showing off now, look. Blitzen said, shaking his head. Yeah, you keep on glowing, you red-nosed prick. Honestly, that's what happens when some assholes write songs about you. The human centipede continued along the street, leaving a trail of faces in its wake. The poor elf at the back had passed out, but that didn't stop things from falling from his backside. There were 51 elves, a reindeer, and the clauses in front of him, and all of them had done at least a little something in the past 24 hours. Trying to hold one poo in can be deadly, but 51 plus his own was just suicide. Please, Santa sobbed. Please, can we stop now? Mrs. Claus said, which was more or less what her husband had just asked. Oh no, Krampus said, merrily jigging along the pavement. We're not going to stop. We may never stop. Let us keep going until the snow ceases to fall from the sky and the trees turn green and Robbie Williams finally comes out as gay. But those things will never happen, Santa cried. At least get us off the street to someplace my elves can't see me. Ho, ho, hostile wasn't even this graphic. A reference to a movie. You should have thought about that before you came knocking my door and asked to borrow my snowblower. Krampus grinned, and it was one of those wide ones, an ear-to-ear grin, a shark's grin, a grin so wide that it stretched all the way around his face and met the back of his head. Everything above his mouth should have, if we're being pernickety, 
fallen off. Krampus reached into his cloak. Krampus reached into his cloak pocket. Brackets. Yes, it had three pockets. One for spare change, one for his cell phone, and one for his horn, which is all well and good. But where was he supposed to put his receipts? And pulled out the horn. To his lips it went, Hrrrk. It was so loud that it required three exclamation points. Hrrrk. Even he didn't know why he had blown it a second time. Come on, he said, yanking Santa forward with an unceremonious tug of his leash. To the village center we must return. Hattie Herman put the kettle on. I'm gasping. And I'm gasping. What, I'm gasping? You'll go to hell for this, Santa said, his body racked with pain and sobs. Possibly, Krampus said, but not before I've had a cup of tea and a jammy dodger. Human English peed. That is the end of chapter 24. We're 88% of the way done, folks. Record pace. Cheers to you. I want to thank my three watchers. <laughs> uh, it's an important thing to know that people are still here. And for those who left, I mean, how will they ever know what happened? I guess they'll, wa- they'll listen to the podcast, maybe, or watch the replay. Who knows? Chapter 25 of The Human Santipede. Huh? The three companions that weren't raving madmen raced into the village proper, their riders more breathless than they were. The village was almost deserted. Nobody had wanted to stick around for any longer than was necessary. Sure, a couple of intrigued perverts loitered around, but for the most part, the elves had dispersed, returning to their homes where there was a much better chance of surviving until morning. To one of the dallying miscreants, Finklefoot said, Hello there! The perv, whose name was Sid, suddenly looked very sheepish. All right, he said. Have you seen a human centipede? About 70 foot long, ugly as sin, with the fat bastard at the front? Sid nodded wildly. Oh, yeah! I've seen it all right. It's the weirdest thing I ever did lay my eyes upon, and I once stood at the front of a Miley Cyrus concert. Finglefoot climbed down from his steed, though Bellsnickel would have refuted such a name, and anyone silly enough to call him it to his face would have perished before they'd have a chance to take another breath. Which way did it go? Finglefoot said, glancing both ways down the street. Last I saw, it was headed towards the stables, Sid said. I'm, I'm hoping it comes back this way. I'd love to see it again just one last time before we start dying to death. Was he armed? Bellsnickel grunted. His breath was visible in the cold air. It was also so pungent. If you had a butter knife, you could have sliced it clean in half. Was who armed, Sid asked. It was a stupid question, but Sid had never professed it being anything but stupid. Connect Rupert took a few steps forwards. Krampus, he said. The lunatic, the guy that stitched everyone together. Was he armed? Sid frowned. He couldn't remember seeing any weapons on the shrouded man, but that was the thing with concealed weapons. You didn't know about them until they'd been unconcealed. He had the beast on a leash, he said, but I don't think you could call it a weapon. If Santa had been growling instead of crying like a baby, maybe. Okay, so he's unarmed, not as white as everyone else, Pete said, his voice saturated with relief. Shouldn't take us too long to bring him down. He's still the strongest one of all of us, Connect Rupert said. We need to be very careful about Hrrrrk. Everyone panicked. Ratso and Gizel fell backwards off Connect Rupert's shoulders and landed, luckily for them, in the snow. Chart shuffled further up, not white as everyone else's Pete's back, and buried himself in the companion's afro. Finglefoot, oh, <laughs> right here is an afro. Finglefoot pointed the anti-companion water pistol into the glooming nothingness, turning and turning, hoping to see just a hint of movement so that he could unleash hell. Sid, the not-so-secret pervert, staggered forward into the snow. His eyes had rolled up into his head as he was reaching around his back as if it was trying to get away from him. Finglefoot moved to the side just in time as Sid continued forwards. Momentum can be a terrible thing, despite what the great Byzantine philosopher Philoponus said. More people had been killed by momentum than choking on boiled sweets or autoerotic asphyxiation. The best way to avoid death by momentum was to avoid steep cliffs, railway stations, horse racing events, wild buffalo, and One Direction concerts. Sid landed face down in the snow, his legs crumbled up behind him as if they were suddenly independent of the rest of him. The miniature spear embedded in his back was still dawing from side to side, as was its wont. Hmm. 
Christ on a broomstick, Finklefoot said, glancing around, searching in the semi-darkness for the perpetrator. He didn't have to look too far. For a moment later, the shrouded figure stepped from the shadows, looking particularly smug. The leash in his hand chinked and clinked as he dragged a centipede from the gloom. Blimey, that was a good shot, Krampus said, removing his hood. I thought I was going to need a couple of goes at it. Shoot him, Belsnickel roared. It took an awfully long time for Finklefoot to realize the companion was talking to him, by which time it was far too late. Krampus had crouched down beside Santa and had the horn pressed to his temple, his mouth hovering just an inch away. Aha, Krampus said. I wouldn't do that if I were you, not unless you want to see your beloved saint's brain splattered across the snow. Finklefoot sighed. Why did nothing ever go as planned around here? You kill the fat bastard, he said. You kill us all. So people keep telling me, Krampus said, straightening up and yet keeping the horn trained on the sobbing head of his ghastly creation. The dart, like the one that just dropped Sid like a sack of moldy spuds, could be discerned at the end of the horn as its tip protruded ever so slightly poison, Finklefoot thought. There was no way such a small dart could do so much damage unless it had been dipped in something mortally astringent. Have you lost your mind, Krampus? Belznickel said, his voice deep and serious as ever. This is no way to behave. This is the land of Christmas. We are peaceful people. What does that even mean, Krampus said, shaking his head of peaceful people. Why not just say peaceful people? You're one to talk about the misuse of language, Connect Rupert said. This is the first time I've seen your monster, and it's clearly inhuman. You're lucky you haven't been sued for false advertising. It should at least be bracketed, not as white as everyone else, Pete said, like those meatloaf songs. Krampus waved his hand dismissively. Whatever. The point is that I've grown tired of all this bullshit. We work all year round, and for what? One lousy day, and we don't even get the fucking credit? No, the kids stopped believing in us years ago, and the parents don't even bother to correct little Jimmy when he gets up on Christmas morning and thanks them for all his gifts. No, they pat him on his little ginger head and say, oh, Oh, you're welcome, son. We've worked ever so hard to pay for all these wonderful things, but you deserve them, son. Even though you're a ginger, you deserve them all. And that, my companion friends, is what has become of our beloved Christmas. That is why I'm doing all this. Well, that and the fact that this bastard doesn't know what the word borrow means. He kicked Santa once in the face. Blood dripped from his nostril and soaked his mustache, giving it a pinkish tinge. They still believe in us, Belznickel said, though he didn't sound convinced. Santa Claus will never die, and nor will we. Krampus sneered. That's where you're wrong, he said. We will all die tonight, every last one of us. It's a bit of a Buzzkill, isn't it? Rat whispered to no one in particular. You can't kill Christmas, Connect Rupert said. Suddenly, he looked a lot taller than he had been a moment before. Beneath the snow, of which there were now several feet, and now out of sight, Connect Rupert had pushed himself onto his tippy toes. If that's true, Krampus said, then how come I'm about to blow a hole in the fat bastard's head? I mean, if he is the one, then a few seconds, there has to be some kind of miracle to stop me. How can he be the one if he's the dead? Isn't that a line from The Matrix, Shard said? Yeah, it's the bit where the evil bald guy pulling the plug, Krampus said, but it works here too. Just then there was a metallic clank and Krampus's head snapped forward. A saucepan landed in the snow just in front of Finklefoot as Krampus tottered unsteadily on his feet. Hey, I recognize those porridge burns, Finklefoot said, picking up the saucepan missile. Frizzleworth, Krampus drooled, fingering the egg that had pushed up through his scalp, making it look like he had three horns. Now, Frizzleworth wasn't any word in the Oxford English Dictionary, but in the Collins Dictionary of concussed ramblings, it meant brackets verb hurts like a son of a bitch isn't that your missus shart said pointing in the darkness just beyond the still staggering krampus finglefoot squinted well i'll be damned trixie emerged from the shadows her arms folded sternly across her chest her eyebrows knitted together with utter fury when were you going to tell me that you were working straight through until christmas eve she said i'm only your wife do i not have the right to know these things do we not discuss matters anymore hmm can we talk about this later finglefoot said shrinking into his own body everyone run for it santa bellowed clawing his way through the snow at roughly one mile an hour the rest of the centipede followed 
followed, not that they had much of a choice in the matter. Belsnickel lunged for the dazed Krampus, who, despite his current giddiness, dodged to the right. Belsnickel went down in the snow, and the snow went up in the air. I've got him, Connect Rupert said, diving after the escaping madman. Krampus turned and blew through his horn. Connect Rupert flew back into the night as the miniature spear thumped into his shoulder. Lying on his back, staring up at the stars, he said, Could somebody else get him? I'm going to have a little nap. Finglefoot, Chart said, as he leapt up onto Krampus's trailing leg. Shoot him with your thingamabob! Finglefoot spun, forgetting for the time being that his wife was terribly annoyed with him. Levering the anti-companion water pistol at TM at Krampus, he said, Yippee-ki-yay, mother liquor, and pulled the trigger. One minute, Krampus was there. The next, there was nothing but smoke in a purple haze. You got him, Shark called, from what sounded like a mile away. Oh no! Hang on, he's back up, he's picking me up, and yep, he's going to throw me! All eyes turned to the sky, just in time to see Sharp surge past. Whee! He screamed. He was like a firework, but without the mess. He smashed through a window halfway down the street. An alarm began wailing into the night. Where did he go? Finklefoot said. Over there, Santa said, ambling past him with as much pace as a blind chess tournament. Jessica Claus mumbled as she clawed through the snow. We are escaping, Santa said. Do you want to come and try driving this thing? No, I didn't think so. Finklefoot jumped into Bellsnickel's back and kicked him in the side. Ow, you little fucker. Bellsnickel pushed back into his haunches. Sorry, Finklefoot said. Completely forgot. If you could chase after the raving lunatic, that would be great. The gun in his hand was still seeping purple smoke. He hoped to God he hadn't broken it. Belsnickel roared and charged after Krampus, who was making good his escape via the back alleys of the village. Imagine, if you can, the Reeves Swayze chase in Point Break, but with two giant bearded immortals, one of which carried a squealing elf wearing a pointy hat and a pair of matching dungarees. With me? Okay. He's a bit nippy for a big lad, Finklefoot said as Belsnickel leapt over a small fence. It was all the elf could do to stay on the companion's back. I told you, Belsnickel Brilliant said, he's the strongest of all of us. That's why everyone knows who he is and why we're just a mention on his Wikipedia page. Finklefoot shook his head again. You'll get your own Wikipedia pages after this, he said, clinging on for dear life. And the song, Belsnickel said, he was catching up to the fleeing lunatic. If only he'd put more thought into what he might do when he reached him. Don't forget about the song you promised us. We'll get the song, Finklefoot said. Whether it'll be any good, he thought, is another matter entirely. Krampus, no more than 20 feet in front now, turned and blew his horn. At some point in the last 10 seconds, he'd managed to reload. Hurk! The dart flew from the horn, splitting the air in half. One unlucky snowflake was severed, but that was perhaps a fluke, and Krampus didn't have time to celebrate anyway. Look out, Finklefoot said, but before the final word fell from his lips, Belsnickel jerked back, clutching at his chest as if the throes of a particularly violent coronary. The dart was in him, boy, was it in him, and in less than a second, the companion went from 15 miles an hour to minus three. Finklefoot jumped clear of the floundering companion and disappeared beneath the snow, which was unsurprisingly colder than a witch's tit. Oh, dearie me, Belsnickel said, staggering back and forth like a drunken ogre. Oh, dearie, dearie me. Are you okay, Finklefoot said, popping up from the snow like some ridiculous version of a -a whack-a-mole. Belsnickel grunted, I've been better. He pulled the dart from his chest, examined it with sleepy eyes and blurred vision. The dart dripped with blood, his blood, and something gelatinous like sap from an infected tree. I'm okay, he said. Just need to walk it off. He took a step forward, which was a good place to start if one intended to walk something off. Unfortunately, that was where his journey ended, and he wilted listlessly into the snow. Scratching his head, Finklefoot sighed. So much for strength in numbers, and so much for size matters. The only thing the big guys had managed to prove thus far (laughs) was that it was much harder to dodge poisonous darts if you were built like a brick shithouse. Such a shame, a voice said, snapping Finklefoot from his reverie. We used to be close friends, not too close, mind. He had awful breath, Krampus crunched through the snow towards the half-submerged elf. He had a look about him, a look that said, you can clobber me with a bleeding saucepan all you like, but an elephant never forgets. Well, I guess this is it, he said, pulling a dart from his shroud and dropping it into the horn. The end, the big finale, the last stand. The end game, Finklefoot said, training the anti-companion 
pistol TM on Krampus's head where it was most likely to inflict the utmost damage? Overture? No, an overture would be at the beginning, Krampus said, as would a preamble, a prelude, and a foreword. That's very interesting, Finklefoot said, standing straight up and dusting the snow from his dungarees. How about you give yourself up, put the horn down, and put your hands in the air? Krampus laughed. That's not going to work for me, he said, and no one likes a sensible ending. I guess we're going to have to duel like they did in the old days. Of course, back in the old days, they hadn't used dart-blowing horns or magical water pistols, but apart from that, the analogy was spot on. A duel it is, Finklefoot said. His heart was racing. He'd never been in a duel before. He'd read about them in history books, and from what he remembered, things wouldn't work out too well for one of them. Then there was always that small chance that both of them would be wounded or killed, like in the infamous duel between Andrew Jackson, brackets U.S. President, and Charles Dickinson, brackets attorney and famous duelist. It might, therefore, go the other way, and neither of them would be harmed, like in the not-so-famous duel between Stevie Wonder, brackets musician, and Stephen Hawking, brackets automaton. The trick, Finklefoot thought, is not getting shot. Nothing more, nothing less. So how do we go about this dueling malarkey, Finklefoot said, if nothing else, buying himself a few seconds of life? Do we stand back to back? Count to three, walk ten paces, turn and shoot. Krampus shrugged. Not sure I can be bothered with all that, he said. Maybe we could just do it like they did in those spaghetti westerns. We growl at each other for a few minutes, I smoke a cigar, you perspire irrepressibly, we hover over our weapons for dramatic effect, and then one of us dies. Okay, let's do that, but maybe you should give the cigar a miss. Those things will kill you. How thoughtful, Krampus said, stuffing the loaded horn into the pocket of his shroud. The only thing missing is an Anino Marconi score. You know, to build attention. You want me to hum something? Finklefoot said it. He holstered the companion water pistol TM. I could always go, wah, 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 Nope, that's terribly distracting, Krampus said. Perhaps silence is best. So they stood, two duelists, too tired to obey the rules of a genuine duel. Krampus, the creator of the human centipede, with or without brackets, and Finglefoot, the fat bastard second in command, brackets one of them anyway, standing in the snow as more snow fell all around, neither backing down, but at least one of them praying for a bolt of fortuitous lightning to strike the other where he stood. This is how it ends, Finglefoot thought, not with a whimper, which would have been far preferable, but with an almighty bang. Finglefoot's trousers squeaked as was their wont as he shifted nervously from tiny foot to tiny foot. If only he thought Trixie had clobbered the lunatic harder with the saucepan, but it was too late now for such fruitless wonderings. This is how it was meant to end. Any minute now, in fact. It was, in fact, seven minutes later when Krampus lunged for his weapon. Finglefoot was half asleep, and so it was, he thought, the miracle of miracles when a licorice Catherine wheel slapped Krampus across the face. What the fuck was all that Krampus could manage before a giant strawberry lace smashed him hard across the neck. The horn now in his hand dropped to the snow as more and more sweet treats pelted into him, leaving marks and welts and bruises wherever they landed. Finklefoot fumbled for the water pistol, but fumblings weren't enough. Not that it mattered, Krampus had fallen to his knees and was being bombarded with every sweet imaginable by things that had yet to reveal themselves. No, please stop, Krampus whined, just as a sugar-coated lemon jelly wedge whipped across his cheek. There was no reprieve, though, as candy after candy walloped into him. As if he knew his days were numbered, he assumed the position Brackets, anyone who has taken a kicking knows exactly what position and began to scream. It was an odd sound to come from such a hulking beast, but you know what they say, the bigger they are, the shriller they squeal or something to that effect. Second unit, fire! A voice commanded from the snow to Finklefoot's right. He turned to see Hattie Herman sitting astride one of the reindeer. Brackets, vixen, blitzen, fucked if they all didn't look the same. Besides her, an army of elves were plucking sweets from buckets and launching them toward the fallen companion. It would have been hilarious had it not been so damn ridiculous. Cannon one on my mark, Hattie bellowed. She was far too manly to screech. Fire! A loud explosion rocked the night. Snow fell from rooftops and trees. Poop dropped from reindeer's arse holes. Finklefoot did the first thing that came to mind, which was duck. 
It was lucky that he had ducked for something whistled past his head so close that he felt the wind from it. He also caught a faint whiff of spearmint. The colossal candy cane slammed into Krampus' shoulder, spinning him around. It was then that he saw the army of sneaky elves approaching from the rear, or as it was now known to him, the front. Get him, one elf roared. Bite his fucking nose off, yelled another. Will we need tetanus shots after? A rather sensible elf inquired. Finglefoot clambered to his feet and watched as Krampus disappeared beneath the tide of flailing elf appendages and pointy hats. Snow and blood flew into the air as the savage assault went on. On and on and did we get him said a booming and yet lethargic voice Finglefoot thought he had seen it all but the appearance of the human centipede sitting astride five confused looking reindeer proved him wrong we did Hattie Herman said a little too smugly for Finglefoot's liking he's under that pile of elves there Finglefoot finally managed to get out the anti-companion water pistol TM out of his waistband for what good it had done it might as well have been like its fat bastard owner firing blanks it's Finglefleet Santa said smiling down at Finglefoot the reindeer he was bleeding all over didn't look half as happy. Excellent work. I understand this wouldn't have been possible without your assistance. Mrs. Claus said. Will you pipe down, Santa said. Nobody cares what you have to say. And yes, I know that you've been up to with my workforce and I have therefore have no choice but to demote you to third in command. Should be ashamed of yourself. Oh, and this one's on the house. And with that, the fat bastard went very red very quickly as he pushed something terrible from his body. Jessica Claus gagged. Jessica Claus passed out. Sorry about that, Santa said to Finglefoot. Now let's discuss your reward. I remember you said something about a song. Oh, and if you know of a good surgeon that would be most useful in the coming hours. So this song, does it have to be by Elton John? He's a tough man to get a hold of. And I've got this friend who owes me a favor or two. He's had quite a lot of success with Christmas songs. I think you're going to. That's the end of the book. Brackets Inhuman Santipede. Finglefoot, A Christmas Savior. Lyrics and music by Naughty Holder. Introduction. It, I'm, this is, I'm not going to sing this song. Uh, it's Christmas. Verse 1. When his snowblower disappeared from Santa's hall, Christmas set out to disgust and appall. He did stitch them from arse to face because his surgeon's skills are ace. Does he sever all the tenons just in case? Oh, okay, I'm not going to read. This is just ridiculous. So anyway, there's a song at the end. You can read it if you like. No, I don't have to sing it because there's no tune to sing it to. If it was to the song of another one, if it was to the tune of another song, I could do it. But I don't want to sing this song. <laughs> uh, let me see. Even if I, I'm trying to do it in my mind, I just can't. I can't do it. I'm glad that you have stayed to to listen and watch the nonsense. The Human Centipede. I have to admit, it was exciting at the end. I don't know. Next time I do something like this, I will try to make sure the audio is in stereo, or at least mixed down so that it's not just coming out of one speaker. That must have been the problem with the gentleman who said that he was hearing no audio, was that he has bad speakers. He only hears the right speaker. Yeah, thanks everybody for coming and listening to this nonsense with me. I enjoyed reading it as much as one can enjoy reading a book that has a lot of terrible puns, terrible pop culture references, bad copy editing. It's clearly written with incredible leaning with uh, English slang and references that don't make sense to an American. I mean, I get some of them, but it is what it is. <laughs> Thank you very much for tuning in. You can listen to the first part of this uh, tonight after I upload it, and I will be editing this nonsense and all of my flubs out for early next year, which is just a couple of days away. Thank you again for listening. I super appreciate it. All three of you. <laughs> uh, I will see you soon, or you will see me soon. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. We'll see you later. Bye-bye.